have we actually talked before? I know you're on my friends list in Facebook. Uh, you've I don't know. on my show, but I don't think I've talked on your show yet. I can't uh, remember. I think you were on with Mark Badeau, I seem to recall. And I, was it Mark Badeau? It was, some, it was some luminary in the artificial life community, and I think we had a wonderful chat at the end of the show. Uh, May, you know, I, I don't remember now, but I remember uh, that I've... I've been aware of Noble Ape for quite some time. I think when you and I talked, I didn't know that you were the Noble Ape guy. Uh, but it I like the stuff you were. <laughs> yeah, well, Noble Ape hasn't actually swept the planet yet, but, uh, <laughs> you well, know. Well, enough of the right people know about it. Let's just put it that way. That's right. That's right. That's all it needs. Uh, yeah. Although I, I must confess, I, I haven't really spent a lot of time with it. I loved the idea maybe ten years ago or whenever it was I first stumbled into it. And uh, but I, you know, I, I get so involved in my own work that you know I end up leaving things aside. But it's really good to talk to you and know that there are other people out there doing interesting work. I think the thing with Noble Ape is I've got a fellow in the UK, a fellow by the name of Bob Mottram, who picked up the simulation recently. And Bob Mottram is a roboticist. He's both a professional roboticist and also big in the amateur robotics community as well. He's been working with Noble Ape for only about a week now, and he's already established honor and grooming and parasites and various other like social evolution elements to the simulation. So it's the kind of thing where people such as, you know, Bob Mottram Beach, people such as yourself can pick up the simulation occasionally, add their own add their own interest, let it run and see what comes out. So in that way I think it's philosophically sticky and it's it's done its it's done its duty in that regard. Well it's still there. You know, I mean, the fact that it's still there and people are playing with it and exploring it uh, says a lot. You know, a lot of people put out a lot of things that are now gone. Certainly. <laughs> you know, well, I think that's so. one of the strengths of open source. I mean, the truth, truth be told, most of the work that I personally put into it is in the maintenance, so it'll run on the latest Mac operating system or the iPad or yeah. you know, the latest flavor of Linux. For these kind of things, so a lot of my role in the simulation, aside from being, you know, the, the primary developer and creator, is making sure it will actually run on the latest technology. Although the, the guys at Intel do a pretty good job as well um, in terms of making sure that it, it utilizes the latest processes as, as well as it can. So well, I'm going to yeah. have to download it again. It's been a while, and, uh, <laughs> and give it give it another look. Well, my hope is that I'll actually have Bob Mottram's changes in the next release, which means when will that be? Uh, I don't know. It could be within about a week or two. I'm going oh, okay. to Silicon Valley to give two talks, one at Intel and one at Stanford, and I'm going to have to do the release before then, and that's only three weeks away. So sometime in the next three weeks, I'm going to do a new release with Bob Mottram's changes. He's um he's primarily running it uh, on like it, it produces like web output so he's got all these graphs um, which I, if you if you, you as we've connected via Facebook you may have seen some of the strange weather maps and now he's getting into the brain simulation and various various of his own visualization techniques I mean Bob's background with regards to robotic vision for example is really fascinating. He does all of this as a hobby, too. I mean, you, you get the sense that the, the cutting edge of robotic vision should be done in universities or, I don't know, industrial institutions 
things like that. And Bob's really out there proving that there is a there is an amateur community just you know soldering, tinkering away. So here is he has a background in kind of visualization and ways of taking robotic vision and making it very visually receptive to humans. And he seems to be doing the same thing with noble life currently. Well, you know, you, what you just brought up, I think uh, one of the points is really dear to me, and that's that computer technology has really given, put the power in individuals' hands to compete with, hell, government. <laughs> you know, we've got, uh, I, well, I think I'm doing about as leading edge work in language and linguistics as anybody in the world is doing. Nobody knows about it but me, but, you know, but... But that's a fascinating thing. Now you, you're, you're striking something in my... I, I, for my podcast, the Biota podcast, I put out some audio uh, in the past few weeks, which is a recording from 1999 between Terence McKenna, who... <laughs> if you're familiar oh, with Terence... Oh, book, Terence is one of my favorites. Yeah, and Bruce <laughs> yeah, yeah. Samer. And what they talk about is that artificial life simulations will develop language to communicate between... They themselves. And mm. funnily enough, I heard this probably only about a week ago. Bruce, I mean, I've been friends with Bruce for more than a decade, and he made reference to these conversations with McKenna, but I'd never actually heard the audio until about a week ago. And ironically, just the night before, I was talking to my wife about what I was going to be displaying at Intel, and I mentioned ApeScript, and she said, oh, is that the language the apes communicate with? And I said, no, the apes use their own kind of binary language, but we can't understand. And she said, well... Why can't we understand? Why can't you write a translator that will translate what the apes are saying in their communities to something that's humanly intelligible? So this has sent me off in a different direction on the chain of language and the whole notion that we really there's no excuses artificial life simulators not to give human intelligible languages to our simulated entities. Are you familiar with Steve Grand at all? Steve Brand? Grand. Grand is in... No. GR. He, um, he did a simulation called Creatures probably about 10 years ago now, and he got, I think, an OBE from the Queen. But he now lives in Arizona. He's about five hours away from me. I'm in Las Vegas. Um, and he uh, was, again, an early pioneer of this idea of once you've got these simulations running, you need to give a means for them to communicate. And he also took that into the robotics community. He's not connected with the Furbies um, or these kind of creatures, but, I mean, I think there's a sense in the robotics community, too, that communication language should some way be human intelligible, too. And I think it'll yep. produce a lot of really interesting stuff. I mean, I think even within the artificial life community, just this kind of speed idea of actually having our entities communicate will probably teach us a lot more about both explicit and implicit communication within this, this is such an exciting time to be conscious and alive Certainly. you know it, i just can't imagine a better time to be around than right now <laughs> you know well, maybe it, in 10 years time who knows <laughs> well yeah except except tomorrow <laughs> yeah, yes. which is going to get even better yeah yeah, yeah. Well, like you, know, you say, the, the ability to do this as individuals, not in scientific institutions or, or places in industry, I think is really fascinating. My talk at Stanford is going to be about that very point, because I think almost there's, there's obviously a lot of intellectual discourse about where we are um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, is this newer, a new super information age? Are we singular, post-singular, these kind of things? Or more importantly, maybe 
through this notion of information simplification and refining the Wikipedia model, basically, where you have a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge, but they put it down in one place and simplify it, then maybe actually we're entering a new kind of information dark age in some regard. And this is interesting talking to the people at Intel, because these are really almost like a, a monastic group of people that are taking something that's extraordinarily complicated and making it human intelligible in terms of programming. So it's interesting times, and it's interesting how this maps onto perhaps some historical understanding of what it actually means for the future. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to respond to that. That's a, that's a, I think you said it well. Yeah. Uh, um, you know what I? You're gonna. You do a weekly show here. I do uh, uh, one. Well, the show I'm waiting to record. I've got a show that I'm recording uh, in about 45 minutes as a different podcast. Basically, I really like the medium of podcasting. So oh yeah. I collected a wide variety of podcasts. In one area, I'm, I, I, it's not even a primary hobby of mine. But basically, I was listening to the model train related podcasts, and there are only a couple. And they don't do it particularly well. And I really like this talk shoe method, obviously, in terms of bringing people in, getting in guests, and just the openness, because, I mean, that's what I do with software as well. So yeah. aside from Biota, Biota Live, and, and the Ape Reality podcast, I also record a podcast called Model Rail Radio, which basically is now just gathering together a wide variety of eclectic and eccentric model, radio, model uh, rail enthusiasts. I'm, I'm, my role is really just to record it produce it, try to keep the conversations on track, and just let it run for about two and a half, three hours. So uh -huh. it's my, um, it's how my much traffic hour. do you get? I mean, do you, how do you attract people to this? I mean, you must be it's doing very some... very easy. I mean, I think really? the nature of a lot of this stuff is that the internet is so big, and the funnel is so small through things like iTunes, that if people have an interest in something... And the, the other thing is, podcasting has a long tail to it. So, I, for, for example, I hear from people that are listening to shows that I recorded four years ago. Yeah. I'm still giving commentary on that. Yeah. And then I don't know how you distribute yours. I use the Internet Archive, so I record here, post-produce, put it out on the Internet Archive, connect it up through uh, an RSS feed, iTunes picks it up, all the other podcatchers pick it up. So my feeling is if you record it and put it out there, people will come. Well, I've been finding that uh, more and more now, but it's been a long time coming, I'll tell you. It's, uh, yeah, I think the growth has been slower than everyone expected, but a large portion yeah. part of that is because the original hope was put on a very small number of individuals who had companies that they were setting out to create. The, what are they even called now? Pod Show, whatever it became, Mevio, these kind of enterprises that were supposed to make sure that people would have MP3, Wi-Fi connected things in their car that would download shows, all this kind of stuff never really came to fruition. It'll happen. It'll happen in, you know, four, five, ten years. But um, my feeling is that the audience for these kind of things is growing progressively, and the more content we record, the more content that exists, yeah. the more people will discover it. Well, I do most of my recording actually in a completely other place. I don't know if you're familiar with the Zeitgeist movement, but they've got a uh, a, a server on Teamspeak, and I really like that place because only eighty percent of the people there are morons. 
<laughs> whereas 98% of the people in everywhere else are morons. So, yeah, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hold those numbers to be too true. I mean, what I find certainly with what I do, and you may find the same with what you do, is that for every one person that understands that there are at least 10, if not 100 people they're at least happy that you're doing it. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's not my experience. My experience is that uh, in the general population, probably 80% uh, vaguely understand it, and 50% are probably pissed off about it, (laughs) and and 1% or or 2%. But again, my stuff is is, uh, a little more personal, I I suspect. I mean, talking about the way people's language function uh, is a little more personal probably than, you know, artificial intelligence and life simulations. When you look at the demonization that the field of artificial life has had and these kind of things, and particularly the whole notion of kind of robotic overlords and dark future science fiction and these kind of things, I mean, there is is a generally bad rap to the stuff that I do, particularly the whole notion that you need to be. I occasionally put artificial life into YouTube and see some amazing stuff from people that say that, you know, if these people in the future start developing the stuff that we've developed for the past 30 years, then clearly they'll be evil and these kind of things. But I think that exists through ignorance. I and mean, what we're trying to do here, obviously, what you're trying to do as well, is inform people. And basically, the way in which you do that frames the discussion. So, for example, I've had experiences on TalkShoe where I've had quite anti-people either call in or be in the chat room, and the ability to turn them around is usually about kind of the mode of education that you take with it. I, I have heard of yeah. about TeamSpeak and other, but, I mean, for me, TalkShoe is the, the easiest possible path in terms of actually getting people to participate. Yeah. Well, I do most of my recording on the TeamSpeak server. I only use Talk. I mean, you're the first guy I've actually talked to in TalkShoe. Uh, in months, uh, okay. I've got a. Of course, everybody in TalkShoe knows who I am and what I'm doing. They've seen it, you know, because I've been running the same title for year, a couple of years now. So everybody, you know, has dismissed me or found it interesting, you know. <laughs> but most people, you know, well, there's so many, you know, Christians and patriots here. I mean, that seems Absolutely. to be the vast majority of the people who who come here. So, no, but 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 I, this is my entree to iTunes basically, and I haven't done any other marketing. I I you know it's just that I run it up to iTunes from from here, and now I'm averaging somewhere between. I mean it varies a lot, but I'm averaging between three hundred and a thousand uh, downloads a week. Certainly. Uh, what kind of what kind of response are you getting? I the problem is that we've done it's for Bios Live. Uh, there have been, well, for example, we had the late Douglas Adams. So if you have anything with the late Douglas Adams in your stuff, you yeah. get overwhelmed, particularly because they have Towel Day and all these other things. So yeah. um, I, there have been a few, I mean, it's, the thing that strikes me is I always find it strange when um, people that I wouldn't thought of would have had fan bases uh, come on Bios Live and they bring large scale fan bases with them. I don't really, I don't track numbers anymore. I use the Internet Archive which yeah. is distributed. I kind of, after the Douglas Adams explosion and all the problems with people deep linking audio and these kind of things, my, my sense is that 
based on Facebook numbers and correspondence, there are probably a similar order to the people that you're talking about, possibly, you know, plus or minus 100 for given yeah. shows. Yeah. But I don't really care. Numbers for me, I mean, I'm not going to advertise on my shows. I'm not doing it for that reason. I think what interests me more is what the uses in academia, and I'm not sure the reception of your show um, in terms of academic references, but that was what really has struck me about Bios Live, that it's now being referenced in academia, and now the need for kind of transcribing particular shows is, is, is growing. Uh -huh. So, you know, it's become a thing in and of itself. But I think the main thing is just, I mean, my understanding of what you're doing as well, it's about giving a voice and, I don't know, a kind of continued historical and... and contemporary narrative to these things and that's what really strikes me in terms of doing bios live and it, it strikes me in some regard with the other podcasts that i've recorded that what we're doing here is creating a, a record for you know for the future as much yeah as yeah for, for, what, for the basically now. what i do is uh, i i do one-on-one -on -one conversations with people who have some interest in language and thinking and consciousness and mm -hmm. those kinds of topics and I just put them up, and I figure if somebody finds it interesting, good. You know? Certainly. And, you know, do you, uh, do you have Skype? Yes, I do. do I, think use... we're, I think we're friends on Skype as well. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd really appreciate I don't know about you, but the audio I'm getting right now is pretty bad. Uh, there seems to be music this... playing in the background for someone. I'm not sure if oh, well, someone I'm, else I'm, on the call. No, I'm sitting in a Starbucks. Oh, no, no. Uh, okay. that, that's why. No, but I mean just the quality of the, the, <laughs> the audio in general is pretty bad. What I would appreciate is that if you and I could arrange to have a conversation sometime on Skype, uh, sort of on whatever the hell sounds like it might be fun to talk about, mm -hmm. Uh, probably about your work and my work, and and maybe with an emphasis to see if there was any overlap where we could, uh, you know, serve each other somehow. Well, there's, there's this language stuff within simulation develops, and this is a new topic. I'm recording my first show on that. I think next Friday. So if you're free, um, you you're on the west coast, aren't you? I'm sorry, what? Where, where are you located in the U.S.? The west coast. Uh, I'm in California. Okay. Yeah. So it will be 8 p.m. Pacific this Friday, recorded on TalkShoe. I'm actually throwing out this topic associated with language and artificial life, and if you'd like to be on that show, by all means... Well, I'll certainly, come, yeah, I'll certainly come and at least listen, and then if I feel like I have anything to contribute. Terrific. This is 8 o'clock this Friday. This Friday. And uh, so that's probably our... What, what's the name of the, of the show? Uh, or the num live, you know the number? I um, I'm sorry. What the, the actual... Talk to you number. Let me just. Let me yeah. Just do you know that. what it is? Yeah. Uh, let me just pull that. Up. And the number is four nine two four two. Four nine two four two. Okay. Yes, it'll be by yeah. seventy languages of the agent. Okay, and that's uh, 8 p.m., uh, well, that would be, what, 11 p.m. according to the, uh, yeah. the time, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, I'll definitely show up there. I've got that on my uh, on my calendar right now. Perfect. I'm trying to book Steve Grand as well. So as, as someone that I've mentioned to you, he's, uh, he's fascinating. Having done this kind of stuff with kind of 15, uh, probably 20-year-old technology, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds... Uh, you know, well, I, I remember vaguely uh, participating in that thing months ago when you and I talked, and uh, I was a little in intimidated by you guys because I've been sort of out here by myself doing this for the last 35 years. Yes. And and um so I don't have well I'm learning over the last couple of years of podcasting I've been sort of honing my skills at being able to present what it is I'm doing. Certainly. Yeah, and, and well, I'm, I'm not still... an academic but Mike Bedos certainly is and in terms of the artificial life community yeah, 20-plus years' worth of work just in that. So, yeah, it would probably be relatively easy to be into. Yeah. Um, have you heard any of my stuff at all? Uh, I'm trying to recall. I think I downloaded, after you were on Bios Live, I think I downloaded a couple of your shows, but I need to go back. Just... Well, there's one in particular I would suggest that okay. you listen to. Uh, it's number 358. Okay. And, and one of the things I talk about is... Uh, Earthling, which is the name I've given to my debugged subset of Wild English that's designed for clear thinking and accurate communication. And essentially, it is English minus what I call the five stupidities. And several people have been uh, harassing me for months to give a good sort of overview of what the five stupidities of English are. And 358 is uh, what was that conversation. Okay, uh, and so that w- would uh, that would be a good place for you to get uh, some you know overview of of that aspect of my work. There's more to it than that, but okay. but uh, but that's one of them. Yeah, terrific, terrific. And well, how I, do I you... have to I have to prep okay. my show, so I'll yeah. let you go and, and take more calls. But it's wonderful chatting with you. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Uh, it's good talking to you, and um, I'll see you on Friday. Looking forward to it. Talk to you. Okay. Then. Take care. Bye.